0: with me to psalm chapter 25 psalm chapter 25 if you don't have your bibles or if you don't have on your phone no worries we have it right here on the screen for you psalm chapter 25 we're going to read the whole thing because it's so good now really um i want you for a moment i don't know does anybody know go ahead and shout it out who wrote psalm 25 anybody know who wrote it Anybody? Yes. King David. That's right. So I want you for a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about King David. I want you for a moment as you're reading this to think about what King David is feeling. He's putting so much emotion, so much thought, so much passion into what he's writing. And he's writing this as a prayer to God. And so I would, I would just want you to partner with David as you read this text. Amen. Would you do that this morning? Amen. Let's read this together. Psalm 25. I'm reading out of the NIV version today. It says, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Verse 4. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy And love, for they are from of old. That means eternity past. Verse 7, do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right, and teaches them His way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of His covenant. Verse 11, For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise and the beauty and the majesty of the truth of your word today. Father, we don't take it lightly that you are speaking to us, not in some, uh, some voice in our head that we can't trust, but through the power of the scriptures, Father, we rely on your word. We take it, Father. And Father, we will work by the power of your Holy Spirit. To have it transform our mind and our lives, God. We put all our trust in the majesty and power of your holy name and your holy word. In your awesome name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. We're on part three of a series called Wisdom, The Way of Wisdom. And my title today for this sermon is Wisdom for Sinners. Wisdom for Sinners. I want to talk this morning about getting guidance from God in our personal lives and for our church. And I want to draw out some lessons that I believe we can all learn about King David's state of mind and his approach to God. And how he sought wisdom and guidance from God. Everybody knows a little bit about who King David was and just go with me just for a moment here um do you remember how god chose david he uh a a a man of god went to david's father and was looking for the right one that was going to be the next king of israel and and this man he uh, uh he had all these sons and all these sons were good looking and strong and supposedly you know they looked the part but when, when, when this man showed up to the family, he said, this is not all of them. Is this all your sons? And he said, no, I've got one more, you know, the runt of the litter, the last one. He's out there and he's tending sheep. And he wanted to meet him. And, uh, the story goes that, that that was going to be the king of Israel. And God raised David up, uh, through the, through the amazing story. If you guys have all heard the story, the story of David and Goliath, where David, uh, couldn't stand that this giant of a man could could um, try to come against the God of Israel, the great God, and and he saw that the people were, were troubled, the Israelites were fearful and afraid, and David in faith took a sling and a stone and killed that giant. Amen? You've all heard this story before. But the thing that is so interesting to me, it's how we'll look at a man like David. We'll see his life. We'll think about all that he did. And we'll see the king that he becomes. And we'll name, we'll even think about him and we'll name our children David. Because it's such a great name. It means so much. But how many of you know that David was not a perfect man? Did you know that? David was not an innocent man. The story of the Bible, the life of David, was marred with great sin. That even though David was known as a giant slayer, he was actually a murderer and an adulterer. And when we get to Psalm 25, we see the writing of, of David in a way that he is full of shame and guilt and regret about what he had done in his past. Maybe some of you here today would think about that and think, man, if I could just go back in time and turn back the clock on some of the decisions that I have made in my life, that's exactly how David is feeling in this this psalm that he wrote. I want us to think about The position of David. But there is a warning that I want to give you before I I speak to a lot of this. And it's a sober warning. You know, it's amazing how many people will call themselves a Christian, but they don't actually consult with Christ about making choices. Jesus brings an authority to our lives and not just salvation. Someone say amen. You understand what I'm telling you, friends? He doesn't just bring forgiveness of sin. He brings authority and commandments. Amen? And we would love to approach God as approach Christ as our savior. But many of us will approach him to get forgiveness of our sins, but reject everything he wants us to do with our lives. You know, I would suppose to you imagine Jesus Christ, he walked through the door and he came to you and he said, hello. Hello. My name is Jesus and I am the son of God. He'd probably say it way better than me than I just said right there. But maybe he came in and he told you, hey, I'm Jesus and I'm here and I'm the son of God. And I came into the world to save sinners and give them complete perfection and everlasting life. By my death and resurrection, I have atoned for sin. And by my wisdom and knowledge, I can show you how to make choices that will bring you the greatest life. And greatest joy, will you trust me? And suppose you said, in response to Jesus, well, I do want to have joy and perfection and hope. We all like that. We all like those ideas about having all our sins forgiven. But you know, Jesus, I, uh, it's true. I don't want to go to hell, but... I have looked over some of your directions for, uh, you know, the good life, and I just don't agree with some of your ideas about life. And so I accept your forgiveness and I really appreciate it, but I think I will go with my own ideas about how to live. What would what would Jesus say about you as you turned and walked away? The question is, do we truly have Jesus in our lives if we haven't received all of him? If we haven't received all of his grace and all of his authority? Do we have an imaginary Christ, a false savior, if you take parts of what Jesus offers and reject the rest. Again, Jesus brings an authority to our lives. He is not just savior. He is Lord and King. Amen. And so who is this message aimed at this morning? I want to speak to most of you in the room. I believe in faith that that you do trust Jesus. You're trusting him in your life. And, and maybe you don't have it all together. You don't have all the answers. No one here does. Amen. And you want your aim is to please God. Your aim is to trust God in your life. I want to speak to you who, to those of you today that aim to have God's direction and counsel a part of your decision making process of your everyday life. I want to talk to you today if you feel like David in Psalm 25, who didn't have an easy life. He was often unsure about the will of God in certain situations. Anybody feel like that sometimes? What do you want for me, God? What direction would you have me go? What do you want me to do? What do you, how do you want me to handle life, God? And we're looking for guidance, especially for those of you in the room who have had it very difficult. You have not been handed an easy life. You have not been handed something easy to deal with because of external circumstances. Things have been hard for you. There are some in this room who are dealing with some very difficult things in their life. David was like this. And in the midst of everything David was facing, he was looking for guidance and direction and wisdom from God. Because he knew that the only true source of wisdom was God himself, amen? I want to know God's ways, amen? I want to know what God wants. I want to know what God wants for my life because I want all of God, not just part of God. I want to know what he thinks about what job I need to take. Right now, pray for me. I have some things going on at work. I'm trying to make some decisions about my career path. How many of you, you're trying to think about, what does God want me to do with my career, with my job? Should I move jobs? Should I change companies? Should I put my resume out there? Should I should I just stay where I'm at? Is this what God, should I start this business? Should I start this company? And you're not sure. Anybody like that? You don't, okay, great, raising hands, amen. So we sometimes have these moments of, God, I need some direction. Maybe you're working and you're, you're here today, but it's, it's strange that you're here because typically you work on Sundays. You say, God, is there something better for me so that I could honor you on the Sabbath? What about decisions about who you will marry or whether you will get married or how you will spend your free time or what college you're going to go to and what career are you going to pursue? What electives are you going to have? Where are you going to spend your time? Where are you going to live? What kind of car are you going to drive? How much should you eat? How will you dress? How often will you pray? How often will you read the Bible? How committed will you be to the local church, the bride of Christ? What sort of church do you want to be a part of and build here at Emmanuel? And So I'm talking mainly to people who believe in Christ and that is people who trust his direction for fulfillment and joy. And so aim to make God's wisdom and guidance a priority for all the choices in their life. That's who I'm talking to today. If you are not, if you're here today and you say, you know, I'm really not in that category, Andrew. I would urge you to listen carefully. To put your own wisdom above the wisdom of God in the choices of your everyday life is not only an insult to God, but self-destruction for you. The only way to salvation is to trust in the true God, not an imaginary half-God. Who offers merciful forgiveness and unacceptable advice. Amen. So let's examine Psalm 25. Let's do it together, okay? Let's look at this psalm. And I want to do three things with Psalm 25, three things to draw out from this text. If you know me, I love to. You know, that's my, that's my favorite way to preach the word is to take a text and just draw out as many lessons from it. We don't want to read our ideas into the text, into the scriptures. Okay? That's called eisegesis. Okay? We want to do exegesis. We want to draw out the scriptures. We want to see the information in the scriptures and allow the word to change our mind. Amen. We don't want to read our opinions and thoughts into the scripture so that it submits to us. No, we submit to the word. Amen. And I love to do this. I love to draw out ideas from the text. And I want us to look at this. And three things I'm going to do with Psalm 25. Number one, I'm going to describe the situation of King David. Okay, I'm going to describe it so you can identify with him. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to show you. What King David asks God for so you can learn from his prayer. And number three, most importantly, I want to show you David's heart, his posture and his position. Amen. I want to show you the reasons why he's confident in God's help. So let's get started. Number one, let's talk about the situation uh, that David is facing. King David's situation in this text boils down to four things that he is struggling with. Okay. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand because this is personal, right? How many of you are struggling today? You're struggling in your faith. You're struggling in your journey with Christ. As as much as you want to serve Jesus with all of your heart, you're struggling. You're struggling. I want to let you know that no matter where you are in your journey with Christ, God sees you. God sees you right where you are. Nothing you are facing, friend, is new to God. Nothing that you are fighting with today, friend, is a surprise to God. He knows exactly the detail of your situation. Knows it all in and out. Forwards and backwards. And I want to tell you something that even in the midst of your struggle, God is there. He is available and present and ready to meet your every need. What we're going to see is this man who God chose to be the king of the nation of Israel struggling. What is he struggling with? Number one, he's struggling with fear, his life is in danger. Verse two. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Look at verse 19. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. So David's life is not one of outward peace and safety. There are threats, real threats to David's life. And he doesn't breeze through these with feeling, without feeling the, the tight chest and the sweaty hands and the pounding heart of fear. Normal Christian life in this age does not mean escaping danger or hardship or adversity, but handling it with prayer. And we're going to get to prayer in a moment. But he is in a fearful situation. That's the first thing. King David is writing from a place of fear. And secondly, he's writing from a place of loneliness. He feels alone. This often goes hand in hand with the life devoted to obedience and transformation. Somebody say amen. How many of you? When you came to 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 Christ and found salvation, that you didn't have as many friends as you did before. Things change, don't they? Oh, you're gonna be one of those wacky religious nut jobs. Is that who you are? You're so weird now. You go to church every Sunday. Oh my gosh. You're 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 uh, you're not going to go out drinking with us anymore. Well, what what's what's going on? What changed? Uh, I found I found Christ. I found Jesus. I found him. I'm different. You may not get as many texts. To invite you out. You may even have family members who they don't want to invite you over because they feel they'll feel guilty with the Christian around. Yeah, don't don't invite them. No, no, because we kind of want to do our thing. Don't invite them. There's there's like super holy now, like just don't invite them. Real talk, somebody real talk. So extreme. You pray like every day. <laughs> you know, this happened to Paul. And, and first Timothy, he talks about how people just abandoned him, people that were supposed to be there to support him. This happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, we read this a few months back. We went through the we did a whole sermon about the garden. And what Jesus was facing and how these these men who were supposed to support him and encourage him and be there, they fell asleep and then they abandoned him. And Jesus went to God in prayer, said, God, I'm lonely and afflicted. They felt that loneliness just like David felt the loneliness. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. This is David, for I am lonely and afflicted. There was an author who wrote this. I wanted to share this. You know who your friends are when trouble strikes and life together is brotherhood in battle, not just company for dinner. Isn't that true? So first thing, David is struggling with fear. Number two, he's struggling with loneliness. Number three, he's struggling with guilt. David mentions his struggle with guilt because of sin four times in this text. Four times. It is heavy on his mind. He's making a prayer request to God, and as he's praying to God, he's reminded of his own sin, his own sin, and his regret and his shame that he's dealing with. God, I need you, but I'm a mess. Boy, the story of my life. I I don't know about you, but that's I have felt like that so many times. God, I need you. God, I need you, but I'm I'm just so broken. God, answer my prayer. You see the situation. I know you probably won't because I'm a jerk. I am so messed up. I don't do the right thing. And when I want to do the right thing, I do the wrong thing. This is David. Look at what he says in verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways according to your love. Remember me for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. Verse 11, for the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Verse 18, look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. David remembers all his own sins and even admits that his present guilt is great. And it's so interesting to me that, that David, he recognizes the mercy and love and forgiveness of God. He says God is good and God is great and he is merciful and he is loving, but sin And David's life was so real, he has these moments of regret wanting to go back. Wanting to go back. Just maybe he wouldn't look at that woman who was bathing. Just maybe he would have made a different decision about having that man killed. Just maybe he could go back and change something. Far from perfect was David, amen? So in the middle of all his external chaos with enemies threatening and friends forsaking, the trouble is compounded by the internal misery of a sinful and guilty heart. And look at what he says in verse 17, such a powerful, powerful Sentence that David writes, he says, relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. In other words, it's the inward turmoil as much as the outward circumstances that are making David so distressed. This this sent, this verse literally means the troubles of my heart are enlarged. So here we go. We have David. He's fearful. He's lonely. He's guilty. And lastly, he's confused. He's confused. And I would just say, you know, everybody has reasons for trying to make God a part of their lives. Amen. It's like maybe something happened to you and you felt, you know, I really need, I really need God in my life. You know, maybe you have a sense that God is real. He's like, man, I just want to know God. I want to have a relationship with God. I, I know God makes my life better, you know, kind of thing. And sometimes our approach to God, even though it's, It's marred with really bad theology about who God is and how he works. God will use whatever we come to him with. He will take it and reshape it through the power of his word and help us to see that no matter the struggle that we are facing, he has a way of changing us and becoming the fulfillment and the joy that we need in our lives. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how you get to God. The point is, is that when you get to God and God finally finds you in the place that you're in, you allow him to do the transformative work that only he can do. Amen. Only God can make the change in your life. Only he can do it. And the question is, will we allow God to do what he wants or will we again just receive the forgiveness and reject the authority that he gives? The last thing David is facing here is confusion. Everybody say confusion. Everybody say, I'm confused. If you have been in a, if you have come to Christ and you are walking this Christian walk, and you say, I've never been confused, I think you're lying. I'm just telling you, it is hard sometimes to wrap our minds around all the ways that God works in our lives, amen? It is hard sometimes to understand all the aspects of God's kingdom, amen? All the aspects of his love, his grace, his power, his goodness. I mean, to just think about, how God is working and in the situation, How how is it possible that I could go to church on a Sunday, worship God, cry out to God, and then leave and all of a sudden get a phone call and now my life is in shambles. How is that? Confused? Confused, yeah? There's so many times when, when we've come together as a church and we pray for needs and believe God. And then all of a sudden, the pastoral team, we're getting a text message of some tragedy that somebody is facing in the church. It seems like it, it's, it's confusing. It's confusing. It's confusing. Look at verse 4, Psalm 25, verse 4. He said, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths, verse 5. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my Savior. It is not unusual in a situation like this to begin to lose your bearings. What is the will of God? What am I supposed to do? No path seems like a way out. You know, it's so funny that, um, you know, oftentimes when we we say, "Hey, where in the Bible can we go for wisdom?" and we go, "Oh, Proverbs, Proverbs." Oh my gosh, you can read a a a, a, a chapter in Proverbs. And you read it and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. You know, like it's just so clear and truthful. And we feel like, man, all of these really great proverbs about life and about, you know, how to think about life and so practical in a lot of ways. I would submit to you that the book of Psalm is just as full of wisdom as the book of Proverbs. I would submit to you that when we see David writing in the book of Psalm, it is so wisdom filled. And the reason why is because it helps us to see ourselves so clearly. Every one of us struggles at one time or another with fear. With loneliness, with guilt and with confusion. And so what do we do? Well, what did David do? What did David do? He prayed. He prayed. So the first thing we're looking at, okay, in Psalm 25 are the elements of David's situation. And the second thing is the content of his prayer. He prayed. There are at least 18 petitions in this Psalm. And what David does in these petitions is he comes to God. He brings his petition before God. In every aspect of his situation, he brings it before God. I'm going to say it again because I think that like little statements like that. I'm not, maybe I'm not saying it loud enough or maybe you're not grasping what I'm trying to tell you here, but David, and everything that he is facing brings his problems to God. Do you know that you can bring all your problems to your Father in heaven who hears you? Big problems, little problems. problems of guilt problems of loneliness moments of confusion moments where you need clarity and wisdom for your life you can bring those to God in the to God and the question is are you doing that you know when i see somebody a friend or a you know let 's say a, a church member, a brother, or a sister in Christ who 's afflicted, really afflicted with maybe a problem that they 're facing. I can usually tell the measure of their prayer life by the measure of their affliction their position when being uh, when being asked about the personal situation that they're facing begins to take form when having these conversations, because someone who is feeling desperate and alone and in anguish quite often, quite often, is insecure. And not fully trusting in God because they have not prayed to God. It's so real, man. It is so real. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And the first solution, the first thing we should be doing as believers, like 101 Christianity, amen? Like 101 basic stuff is bringing our problems to God. Amen? Oh, well, God knows my heart. He knows the situation. No! Pray to God. Pray to him. Pray to God. Talk to the Father. And that's what David does. He asks God to guard his life and deliver him. In verse, verses 4 and 5, he asks God to take away his uncertainty and confusion In other words, David comes to God with his fear and his loneliness. And I would say, let's not take that for granted that we have access to God. Amen. That we can go to and prayer. If you face a decision in your life, how many of you have faced decisions in your life where there is not a clear text of scripture about what to do? Right. Right. Okay, I don't know how to handle my mother-in-law, but there's not a lot of verses from Paul about my mother-in-law. Oh, man. I don't know what to do. Some of you are the mother-in-law. I just want you to know, Mom, my wife loves you very much. I don't know what to do about that coworker who brings uh fish for lunch and microwaves it. And he's on the other side of the cubicle. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about the neighbors who have young kids who are banging their loud music at 10 o'clock at night. Should I go tell them something? I'll I'll go with love and grace, but can I also go with the righteous anger of Christ and knock down their speakers or do something. I mean, what is happening? You know, uh, I don't know what to do about my retirement. 401k, IRA, IRS. I don't know what to do. And there's no verse, right? There's no verse about that. So what should we do about this specific choice that there's not a clear scripture? And I would submit to you, that's a lot of life. Amen. That's a lot of life. Should I send this email to my boss about this problem that I'm facing that I'm not really sure? Should I, like, what should I do? How should I handle this, you know, comparison matrix on this Excel spreadsheet? God, what do you want me to do here? There's no verse about Excel. I don't know what to do. Maybe we should wait for a dream or a vision from God. Maybe God will put a voice in our head and there will be some miracle in the circumstance that points the way. You know, um, I don't dare to to say that God can't use those means. God can definitely give us visions and miracles and help us and speak to us in ways that shatter our misunderstandings about what he wants. And now we see very clearly, but I'm just going to tell you in my life that has not been the normal means of guidance for me. Maybe I'm alone in that, you know, maybe, maybe when you pray about that Excel spreadsheet, and you're not typing fast enough. You say, God, give me the fingers to type this and turn it in in time. And God miraculously helps you type faster to submit that thing. Because I, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. But that hasn't been the case for me. I want to tell you this. And this is really important. For those of you who are trying to make decisions in your life, listen to this. Normally. Most often, God will lead us by making us alert to our surroundings and by fostering spiritual awareness. I want you to know that by the Holy Spirit, God wants us to know his character and his intentions and move beyond our perspective and see things with his eyes. Many times, when we are facing a situation, our pursuit can't just be a message, but it must also be holiness. We pursue God for answers, but do we pursue God for holiness? And I will tell you today that if you approached every situation that you're facing with the perspective of God, because God is holy, that's his character. God is love, that's his character. God is righteous, that's his character. And if you say, God, align your character with my heart, just maybe you'll approach the situation you're facing from a better vantage point. He'll open your eyes to see things as he does. And that will drastically change the way you handle most situations in your life. See, some of you have made some really poor decisions because you haven't taken the time to pray to God and ask God for wisdom in the situation to help you have the right perspective on what to do. God, what is your character and what are your intentions for my life? Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me. Father, I want to honor you. I want to, I, your word tells me to be holy because you're holy. So help me, help me to honor you and, and, and do the thing as you would do it. It's a total game changer. How you handle customers at work, game changer. I'm going to just share with you. I had a situation this past week, very Crazy situation this past week. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail. All of you, are, tell us, tell us. Come on, Andrew, tell us. No, I'm not going to tell you all the details of this situation I was facing. But I was in a situation with a lot of people, lots of drama, and lots of conflict, And uh, my wife made fun of me. She's like, well, you really put your pastor's hat on, on that one, didn't you? But people who do not have the mind of Christ approach the situation ready to fight. They want to win. And I felt tangibly after this situation Every time I'd have a conversation with somebody involved in this situation, approaching it kind of from the outside and coming in, I'm standing amongst a group of people who are very protective of their kids, who have all of this, this stuff going on. And I came in with peace and love and clarity that God was in this. I spoke clearly I was able to convey what, what I believe was best for the kids at stake. And, and all of a sudden, the anger of the group started leaving. The fighting started to leave. Understanding and clarity for the whole group. Because I'm just going to tell you, as believers, people should sense that when they talk to you. People should sense in your workplace that you are not the rude, obnoxious, lazy, glutton who doesn't care about the people around them. That's not how we are as believers. God has called us to pursue holiness. Hey, who's the nicest one at your workplace? Who's the one who works the hardest? Who's the one who, who is willing to compromise? for the sake of the group because you want to show kindness and love and generosity to your coworkers instead of just winning every time I'm just this is not in my notes anymore but it's frustrating to me when i see christians who have bad reputations at their workplace i kid you not i've heard the story of very strong Christian men in our community who go to go to church. They, they may go to a church here in Alvin. And all of a sudden I'm hearing stories about things that had happened. And they are stories and there are rumors. And I don't know what's true. But I just think, oh, how I hope that the believers, the Christians in our church are a light to our community in their workplaces and in their homes and in their associations, in their activities amongst the community. Can't we be the loving bride of Christ? Because in the end, it's not about us. It's about reaching the lost anyway. And I'm just telling you, to God be the glory, I am using this situation to reach some people for Christ. That's my goal. That's my goal. Where am I? So we talked about David's situation and we talked about the content of his prayer. And now the, the third thing, and I kind of changed this up a little bit um, yesterday. I want to talk about the posture of David's heart. The posture of his heart. And we'll we'll wrap up with this. David is struggling. He goes to God in prayer for wisdom. But how does he approach God? How is David approaching him? What is his posture? What is his position before God? And I think that this matters. I want to talk to you about some prerequisites for God's guidance and wisdom. There are some things that David shows us. Okay, in his posture, in his position, as he prays to God, there are some things happening in David's heart that are really clear from this passage. And I want you to think about this very much. Okay, friends, listen, I want you to think about how you bring your prayer to God. Very practical. I'm talking now when you pray to God, what is the position of your heart? Where are what 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 are you thinking about what What kind of feeling do you have in your heart when you come to God in prayer? What is your position before him? I have heard um you know Christians and social media and stuff like that. they say, "Oh I, God's you know, God's like Santa Claus. Oh really? Oh really? Really? God's Santa Claus. You just go to God and you just you know, demand everything that you want and he just gives it to you? Wow, I wish Paul would have done that in the Bible. What is our position before God? Is it a place of fear and honor and reverence to the wisdom and power of a great God? Or is it God, you really need to do what I say here because you told me I'm a child of God so just, you know, help me out here. I need your, you know, come in and, you know. What is our position? How are we really when we approach God? There's a feeling here that David gives where God is really big and he is really small. How I long to know That God is great and I am small. God is great. God is great. And I am small. I am. I'm just. Look at how look at how David approaches God. Number one, he confesses his sin. Sinlessness is not a prerequisite to guidance because God is good. We are not good. Amen? Understand that. We are not good. God is good. God is good. And confessing our sin, bringing the darkness in our heart to the light, is the first step in getting wisdom and guidance from God. We God gives guidance when we acknowledge we don't have it all together. Amen? We don't. We are broken. We have failed God. So if you ask me how to know the will of God, the first thing I might say is admit from the bottom of your heart that you are a sinner. Don't come to God with all your secrets. God, I, I know I have some sins. I don't really want to talk about those right now, but I really need this. David wasn't willing to do that. David was willing to confess and give all of his sins to God in his prayer, of, in, in his request for God to intervene in his life. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that amazing? To see how David's posture was, one of, of need for forgiveness from God. Number two, g- um, David approaches God with humility. Verse nine, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. In other words, a person who admits his sinfulness and feels helpless in himself has one of the necessary spiritual qualifications for recognizing what pleases the Lord. The quest for guidance must be a quest for humility. So maybe you ask me, Andrew, how can I know the will of God? How can I gain the wisdom that God wants for me? Admit all your sin and humble yourself before God. And number three, the last thing, the last prerequisite for God's guidance is faith. Faith. And he starts his whole psalm, we're going to go to the very beginning of the psalm. The very first verse in this psalm says, "In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. I trust in you. God, I trust in you." What a powerful way to start a psalm. Amen. Do you trust? God do you believe his word and his promises do you really trust God this morning do you trust him for who he really is a sin forgiving savior and an infallible guide to everlasting joy the authority that brings correction and transformation to your life do you trust that God God of the Bible. Amen. Would you stand with me today?